we're starting a brand new series today. We're titling it, Hope is Here. Turn to that person next to you and say, Hope is Here. Now, now you're not the hope, but just go ahead and tell them that's what the message is going to be. Hope is here. I don't know about you, but I need some fresh hope in my life. There are some things that I have dreamed about and believed God for that have not come to pass. And I feel myself sometimes losing hope. Sometimes I, there are people that I'm believing for to come to Christ that are away from God. And I can feel myself sometimes losing hope. There are friends of mine that I'm believing for miracles in their life, for healings. And I can find myself sometimes losing hope that God's really going to do it. And then I, not only that, but I want to be, not only do I need hope, a fresh dose of hope in my life, also I want to be a person who can help disseminate hope. I don't want to be a person who you get around and like, man, you walk away from them and say, man, they're just as hopeless as I am. And my generation needs the hope of Christ because they put their hope in everything else in their technology and their own personal ability and their own desires and it's brought them nothing but hopelessness and they're stressed out and they're worried and they're broken and friend I don't know about you but I want to show them the life that I have received through Jesus Christ the hope of the world and so we'll be doing multiple services uh, uh, throughout this month on this topic about hope we'll be looking at how God brought hope into the world through Jesus Christ we'll end our hope series on Christmas services, which will be December 22nd. Now, as already mentioned in our video announcements, on December 22nd, I'm asking you to be in those services. And we're going to shorten those services. We're going to do five of them here in Cedar Hill and two in Mansfield. That way you can bring your family. That way during the holidays, you can actually see some of your neighbors who will never go to church. They'll come to church. I promise to help them understand the hope that God has for them. And we can break off some of the brokenness in their life and see them come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus. Christ. And so we'll be doing an 8 a.m., our normal 9, 1045, and then we'll do a noon service, and then we'll have our evening service just here in Cedar Hill. So pick one of those, grab some friends, and come to it, be live. And then we've got a special, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of teaser. We're doing something special that we're calling Cyber Sunday on December 29th. I can't tell you any more details than that. The staff told me, don't tell them yet. And so next week, we'll tell you a little bit more about Cyber Sunday. But I promise you, you're going to go, yes! You're going to be like, that's the greatest ever. You're the greatest greatest pastor. Here's all my money. You know, I'm just kidding. I was just, I was, first thing came to my mind. I, you know, I didn't know this coming. And so as we jump into this today, I want you to understand that God brought hope into the world when he brought Jesus as his son, Savior, to our, to our, uh, to our, 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 our planet. Thank you very much. Our key scripture here is in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. So go ahead and turn on your Bibles. Uh, if you're new to us, I always give you a key scripture or attempt to every sermon so that you can actually kind of know where we're going. And if you'll just kind of pay attention to the key scripture, then what will happen is, is that will give you a truth. And if you come every week, that will give you 52 scriptures or 52 truths. And you'll know more Bible than 90% of American Christians. And so hold on to the key scripture, mark it in your, in your digital Bible or write it down uh, if you're taking notes. But here it is in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What's transpiring in this, pa in this passage in Mark chapter excuse me, in Matthew chapter uh, 1, is that Jesus is going to come to the planet. Mary has been found pregnant. She is engaged to a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph finds out that his uh, fiance is pregnant, and he didn't do it because he ain't been with her. And so when he finds that out, you got to understand, in Jewish culture, she's to be immediately stoned. 
because she is betrothed. She is, she, she is already committed to this marriage relationship with this man, and they have not consummated the marriage yet. They have not had their wedding, uh, but, but she's come up pregnant, and she's saying that God did it. You think about that, bro, for just a moment. God did You won't tell me God did it. He was so gracious that his goal was not to have her stoned or humiliated or publicly brought out in front of everyone, but instead he wanted to put her away privately. He was just going to sweep it under the rug so that she wouldn't be destroyed for the rest of her existence. And in that process, God comes to him. He sends an angel, and Joseph has a night vision. God literally wakes him up in the night. It's called a dream, but it's a night vision. And in that vision, the angel says, this is from God. The Holy Spirit has done this to Mary. And that this child, picking back up, let's go back to verse 21. She will give birth, and he's going to be a son. And Joseph, you're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He is being sent to save his people from their sins. I want you to know something. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. Only Jesus can save you and me from our sins. Only Jesus can transform our lives in a way that sin does not destroy us any longer. Jesus was sent to save his people from their sins. You have to understand when this is transpiring. If you'll look in your Bible, this is in the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. 400 years before that is the last book of the Bible, Malachi. The book of Malachi, between Malachi and Matthew, is 400 years where God does not speak to his people, Israel. He will not any, even engage with them. And if you'll read through the book of Malachi, you'll find out why. God goes to them, and, and the prophet Malachi writes to them by way of the Holy Spirit, by way of God speaking to them, and saying, what happened to you guys? You said you love me. You're my people. We have a covenant relationship. And yet all you do is complain. You're constantly cheating on me. You're constantly going to other gods. And then when I confront you, you blame it on me. He says, and you're not even faithful to your own marriages. You're not, you're not faithful to me. And so, you know, can I, can I just tell you something? I'm not the problem. You're the problem. And God literally backs away from them. And for 400 years, he leaves them to themselves. Okay, you want, you, you want your life the way you want it. You don't want me in your life? Fine. Great. Great. Let's see what happens. And for the next 400 years... The Jewish people, the Israelis, they are conquered, they are, they are stripped away from their land and brought, and then brought back and back and forth. They're in war constantly, back and forth. They have a little bit of moment with the Maccabees, and then that gets destroyed. The temple is destroyed and rebuilt. I mean, it's 400 years, a mess. Everybody say mess. And then God says, okay, now I'm going to bring you hope. Because I can't bring you hope until you recognize how utterly destroyed you are without me. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you how many people have told me, man, my first marriage, I didn't know how good it was until we were already divorced. I didn't realize what I had, Pastor. I didn't realize what I destroyed. I didn't realize what I did wrong. I didn't know I had it so good. And that's what God does. He backs away and says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. You don't want me? Then fine. But let me explain something to you. Until you get to the place of brokenness, until you get to the place where you recognize how much you need me. See, can I help you with something? The reason why Americans don't really serve God because they don't need God. The reason why there's revival in other countries is because people come to the end of themselves a little quicker and they say, oh my God, I need, I need help. I need help. 
and they call on the living God. So the Lord puts the Israelites in this position by just taking his hands off of them. And so they go from being destroyed, beat, kidnapped, raped, murdered, all these things back and forth till finally they come to the place where the Romans now have basically conquered them and, is, and are allowing them to have their temple worship and allowing them to do And it's in that that they begin to recognize we need God. And in the middle of that, God says, now I'm going to bring you hope. But before I can bring you the key to hope, I have to bring you through a process of getting to hope. And we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, see this process that God brought them through. And the first step in this process, write it down, is called consecration. This is what we're going to be talking about today. Consecration. Until you and I come to the place where we say, I need God. And God, whatever you have to do, remove whatever you have to remove in me because I need you. Whatever. Jesus said said about this in Jesus. The angel says, and he will free his people from their sin. His people, not the pagans, not the God-haters, his people. Can I just help you? We are all sinners. We are all sinners who need God's help so that sin does not destroy us. So let me define for you for just a moment, what is sin? What is it? What is it? Depending on what preacher you heard or what place you came from, can I just give you a simple definition? As I study scripture, let me put it in layman terms or just everyday folk talk. Sin is simply this, write this down if you're taking notes, sin is simply this, anything that is against the nature of God and separates us from him. Sin is anything that's against his nature, that's not like God, that's sin. Sin is anything that's against his nature and that then separates us from the Lord. A few weeks ago I was, I was ministering out of town and I was doing this large youth gathering and uh, hundreds and hundreds of young people and um, they brought in uh, during the Saturday morning session, they brought in some, they wanted to cover mental health. And, uh, and so they brought in some therapists and some Christian counselors, doctor degrees, master degrees, and they were, wanted to put them in a panel discussion. And so they asked me, Pastor Adam, would you mind hosting the panel discussion? I'm like, dude, I am Oprah all over it. Let's go. And so what they decided to do was ask the students, whatever you want to ask the Christian counselors and therapists, Ask the question, text it into this number, and then the staff sent it to my phone, and I was supposed to pose these questions to them. So we were just early into the stages of posing questions, and these therapists, and they're Christian therapists, and one gentleman had been a pastor, and, 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 he, and he gave up the pastor because he saw the need so much for counseling, and he felt a little bit more. So he, he, was, he was now a counselor, a Christian counselor. Another woman, she had her doctor, had her, had, she had multiple people working for her in her little counseling firm, and so forth. And so, and so they asked this question. These teenagers asked this question. Is it a sin if a Christian commits suicide? The pastor immediately answers, he says, no, it's not. And he goes to tell a story. My brother loved Jesus with all of his heart, but he came under some mental health issues, committed suicide. And I'm telling you right now, he loved God, he knew God, he's he's not in hell. And so I'm listening to his answer and the other ones, and I'm thinking as a pastor, wait a minute, uh, I don't completely agree with everything you just said, So within a matter of moments, some other 13-year-old texts in, wait a minute, I thought that sin was anything against the nature of God. And suicide is not God's nature, it's not his way. So is it then not sin? I read it all to these guys, and they start going, uh, And I said, can I just help for a second? Guys, this is my fault. I think what you heard, although the question was a little bit more specific, what I think you were trying to answer is, If a Christian commits suicide, do they always go to hell? And I think your answer is proper that we don't know where that person necessarily is at. 
so it's not the unforgivable sin. Isn't that what you were trying to say? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because suicide is against God's nature, so therefore it would be sin, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. That's what we were trying to say. It took a 13-year-old to remind all of us degree people that sin is nothing more than just being the opposite of God's nature and thereby separating us from God. That's all sin is. There's not this list of do's and don'ts. It's just whatever is against his nature. So you ought to say amen right there because that helps liberate some things. So then how, pastor, did I become a sinner? How did that happen? You were born into it. You're born into it. Let me give you a passage of scripture on that. Look in Romans chapter 5 with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, and when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, and for everyone, for everyone, excuse me, sinned. So let me just kind of paraphrase this a little bit. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden and they sinned, sin became a part of their DNA. They were sinless before. They didn't understand sin, didn't know sin. They were not corrupted with sin. But the moment they rebelled, sin became a part of their DNA. And every child that they birthed, it was a part of their DNA. It became our nature. We have a sin nature. I always say it like this. I can prove that so easily. Let's go over there in the kids' ministry and watch that little two-year-old take that toy and wrap it upside another two-year-old's head. And you're sitting there going, I am so sorry. I never taught her to do that. That comes from her dad's side. I don't know where that came from. I don't know, I don't know why she's acting that way. I'll tell you why, because it's her sin nature. We all have it. It's more natural to sin. That's why you and I get before the Lord and say, Lord, help, save me from my sin. Why? Because it's more natural to sin. It's unnatural to live righteously before the Lord. It's more natural driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off to get up on their bumper and start honking the heart and going, beep, beep. And that's more natural. It feels more comfortable, right? It's not comfortable to go, I just bless you. I just speak God's favor over you. I hope it all works out for you today. Lord, just bless them. Let not their engine blow up, their tire blow out, and then flip the car right here. Lord, I just ask not that to happen. It's, it's more natural when someone says something stupid on social media to go, oh yeah, up yours, than it is to say, you know, I don't really agree with that. In fact, Jesus says, I just want to bless you, and I can see your side, but maybe you should see this side. That's not natural. That's called supernatural. What we have to become is like Christ, not like us. We were born with a sin nature. It's more natural to sin. Are you with me? Say yes. Years ago, I was speaking on the West Coast. I did a lot of ministering in what were Russian American churches. Uh, back in the 80s, when the wall came down, uh, President Reagan actually financed large group of Russians to come to the United States if they had been imprisoned for their belief in God, and they literally brought I mean, just hundreds of Russians became Americans, and they, and they, and they kept their, their, their culture, and they started churches. They were believers. But many of them were Orthodox. And so I'll never forget the first few times I was speaking for them. I would show up. The women sat on one side. The men sat on another. The ladies had the little things over their heads. They would not, if I, if I said a prayer, they all had to stand up. It was just some of their orthodoxy. And, uh, and so I was doing a youth conference for them, and, uh, and they were very, very strict with them. The girls had to wear dresses and no makeup, and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And so they decided they wanted to meet with me, me and the bishop and the elders. They wanted to meet with Pastor Adam, the guest speaker. I said, okay, yeah, I'll meet with him. And just like you see out of some 80s movie, they brought me into this dimly lit conference room. And there was this long table with all these Russian men sitting there, ties and seats. 
and the bishop at the head of the table. And they brought me in. They got me this little young translator guy, and then they start speaking to me. And so the little guy translated. They want to know, what can we do to keep our young people from becoming Americanized? <clears throat> what they were worried about, they, they connected sin with Americanism. There's some truth in that, but not completely true. Because they don't understand scripture properly. They're the bishop. And, uh, and so I said, tell them nothing. Tell them. The guy's like, I am not translating. I said, tell them. There's nothing they can do to keep their kids from becoming Americanized. They live in America. If you don't want to act like Americans, go live somewhere else. This is America. It's America. I said, you just tell them that. And the, guy, and the guy's like, I'm not doing it. I said, tell them right now. And then I'll answer the rest of the question once you tell them. So he says, and they're like, they lean in. I said, let me explain to you what the Bible says. The book of James says it's our own evil desires that drag us into temptation. You're trying to keep your kids from temptation? They're going to find it no matter what you do because they have an evil desire, a sin nature inside of them. What you need to teach them to do is crucify their sin nature so they can live in Las Vegas and be holy if they crucify the sin nature. They can live any place in the world and be around whatever wickedness in the world if they've crucified the sin nature. It will not destroy them. They will not go back into sin. But to say that sin is not tempting is against Scripture. The Bible says it is fun, but for a season. It says, oh, yeah, it's, it wouldn't be tempting. Think about it. You ain't never been tempted by an ugly person like, ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've never been tempted like, ooh, I'm going to steal that dollar right there. Maybe go to jail over a dollar. <laughs> it's not tempting. It wouldn't be temptation. We have a sin nature that has to be crucified. And when you and I learn to do that, then it won't control us anymore. Jesus came to save his people from their sins, of which you and I are chief. Are you with me? Say yes. So Jesus, in trying to kind of put some of this in perspective, gives us kind of this, he identifies, he tells a parable, and in the book of Mark, chapter 4, he tells a parable about the infectiousness of, of, of sin and, and kind of the vehicle by which we become entrapped by sin. And let me, if you read Mark chapter 4, what he does is he goes into this parable about the ground and seeds. And he starts talking about some seed fell on good ground, some fell on hard ground. And he kind of laid out these categories. And I'll just kind of run you through real quick, not on the notes. But he says, you know, God is sowing the word. And the disciples didn't understand it. So he's like, let me break it down. So when God's word comes forth, and it falls on hard ground. People who are like, I don't care about God. God ain't nothing but a blank and blank. Bleh. He said, that's hard ground. And what happens is that seed sits on that ground and never gets in any soil. And immediately the birds come and steal it. And so you can preach to them all day long. They don't want to hear it. They're not going to receive it. That ground is hard. He said, then there's another category of people that their ground it's got rocks in it. So they've got a little bit of topsoil. That seed goes down into that dirt as they're throwing seed, as God's throwing out truth and trying to help people acknowledge him and come to him. That seed gets down in the ground, and it begins to germinate. But because there's not enough soil, the rocks are all there. It's not deep enough. It can't really get roots, and so it dies out. He said, and then there's another category. He said, in this category, it's the, where the, the seed goes into soil. It's good soil. And it begins to germinate. The plant begins to grow. But before it can give all fruit, it has weeds all around it. Thorns is how he says it in, 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 in New King James. Thorns all around. And it chokes out 
the very life. That plant stays alive, but it, it sucks all the nutrients to where it can't produce anything. And then he said, and then there's another type of folk, another type of ground. You throw that seed in there, and boy, that, that thing goes down in there. It germinates. It becomes a plant and starts producing fruit, 30, 40, 40 50, and 100 fold, something like that. And Jesus literally lays out what I would call in this, fourth, this third category of people, this whole, this whole process by which sin is vehicleized, brought into our life through these tares, through these weeds. And I want to take you there in verse 18 of Mark chapter 4 and read his exact words in Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns or weeds, hear the word. Verse 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I would say that 90% of American Christians fall in that category right there. That God grabs a hold of their heart, starts doing something, but these three vehicles, these three infectious diseases begins to bring sin into their life. Let's break these down for a moment. He calls them, he starts with number one, the worries of life. The worries of life. Guys, how in the world as a Christian are we worried about life? We've read the end of the book. We win. What, what, what is causing us to be so stressed? How come Christians are just as stressed out as non-Christians? It's the worries of life. Why? He told Martha, he said, Martha, you're worried and upset about every, so many things that don't matter. It does not matter. The Word of God says it. Listen, look at the lilies of the field. Look how beautiful they are. They don't sow. They don't, they don't sow their clothes, but yet God clothes them in all beauty. Look at the birds of the air. They don't go about wondering how they're going to get food, but God the Father feeds them. How much more will he care for those who are his sons and daughters? Why are we worried? I'll tell you why. Because it's a vehicle that the enemy sowed seeds of sin. And that vehicle of worry brings in sin right into our life. And some of you are so caught up in the worries that you've lost a love, affection for the living God. Because what does worry say? Worry says that you're not big enough to take care of me. Worry says, you're not, you're not really God. I have to somehow fix all this in my own strength. Worry is it, it's a derivative of fear and faithlessness. That's really what it is. When you and I say God is God, I don't care. You remember the old Christians? You remember the old people that you grew up in church? Them old mamas say, oh, baby, going to be all right. You're like, oh, no, we ain't got any. Oh, baby, I'll tell you, back in, back in 1967, I'll tell you what happened to me one time. We ain't had no money. Oh, we didn't have no money. Oh, but then the doorbell rang. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And they start telling stories. Why? Stories of faith. And now they don't live in a place of worry. Why? Because they pulled up those weeds of worry. They don't let those weeds of worry steal their trust, steal their faith, and cause them to be sinful. Are you with me? Say yes. Then he gives us the second category. The second category, and that is the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. What in the world? How? Americans, we are so caught up in the deceitfulness of wealth. Why? As if we ain't got enough. Do you know they estimate that the guys begging, the homeless people begging on the side of the road, bring in between twenty dollars and $28,000 a year? Begging on the side of the road. You're like, oh, they're so, they're so poor, for, so sad for them. Listen, even the poor people are rich compared to other countries. I mean, you go do the statistical analysis. It's unbelievable. We have more wealth, and it's never enough. It's, I mean, Black Friday, I started getting hit with emails and text messages from Black, and I was like, ah, God, look at that. I got to have it. I don't even know what it is, but I got to have it. It's got three cameras. I only have one camera on my phone. I got to have it. The deceitfulness of wealth, what does it do? 
It is a weed that does what? Chokes out the real life of God in us. Jesus, Jesus works. Here's the third thing that he tells us, and that is the third vehicle, or the third, if, if, if you will, you know, a way that the enemy gets in category, and that is a desire for other things. A desire for other things. He uses the word desire. Desire. What do you desire? What do you want? Want everybody to like you? Our desire should be for him. You think about it. A desire for other things. You think about when you really want something, what you do to get that. I mean, fellas, you think about when you were dating your now wife and you wanted her to fall in love with you. It's amazing how aggressive you became. You wrote her poems. Poems. You can't even text message a full sentence anymore, but you wrote poems to her back in those days. Oh, darling, forever I will be true. For when I'm not with you, I am so blue. Oh, my darling sweetheart, how I love you. You wrote all these things. Once you got married, you're like, ah, whatever. I got her now. No reason. Why do you think we, we got to have date nights? Just remember we're supposed to love each other. And, 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 and refocus our desire. Can I just help you with something? The desire for other things. And he doesn't even call the other things what they all are. There's so many things. Life is always changing. And this desire for something other than Christ, this thing begins to permeate and seed sin. And as a result, weed out and destroy and suck the life out of our relationship with the living God. It's amazing how that happens. But I got good news for you. All throughout scripture, when God is talking about pulling up the weeds, he calls it consecration. He uses the word consecration. Consecrate yourself. Come back to right relationship with me. And so what he does with the Israelites in this 400 years, he says, I'm going to bring hope to you. He prophesied it back in the earlier passages uh, in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to bring hope to you. But for me to be able to bring hope to you, you've got to come to the end of yourself and recognize that by yourself you are, you are, you are nothing but dead. And with me, there's life. With me, life is good. I will send my son. And his number one goal is to save you, the believer, the follower of God, from your sin. I don't know about you, but I need to be delivered from my sin. I need God to save me from my sin. Why? Because sin, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. And keep you there much longer than you ever thought you'd have to stay. You and I must learn to consecrate. So I want to give you a couple thoughts on how to consecrate, how to pull up those weeds. Give you a couple biblical thoughts. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. Number one, here's the first thing I would teach you to do, and that is stop minimizing sin's power. Stop minimizing sin's power. Oh, you know, I got it. I got it under control. Do you now? Do you really? Oh, it's no big deal. You know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Yeah. There's a scripture about that. Jesus tells a story about two men that were before the Lord worshiping. One was a tax collector, and he starts beating his chest in the middle of worship. Oh, God, I'm, I'm so miserable. I'm such a sinner. The other guy looks over at the tax collector and says, oh, God, I give tithes. I'm faithful to go to church. I go to small group. Man, I, I help people at Christmas time. Thank God I'm not like this dude right here who's wicked. And Jesus, in telling the story, says, who do you think the, the Lord accepted? He accepted that one who beat his chest and said, help me, because I know I have sin. Can I tell you one of the greatest powers of deception is that your little bit of sin's not hurting you. I was meeting with a great Christian leader some time ago. And I was just, we were just talking life and story. They began to relate to me 
that they had been through this journey the last few months. So they had a sin habit. They would repent of it. They'd come on Sundays to church here, and they would raise their hand. They'd ask God to forgive them. They, during ministry time, sometimes they'd get people to pray for them. But they felt like they had control over it. In fact, they knew that they weren't as bad as everybody else with this particular situation. And they felt like they had control over it. The problem was, because they were minimizing the power of that sin in their lives, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it began to root. And it began to control. It began to affect their marriage relationship, relationship with their children, their job, all these kind of things. This person's telling me this. Christian leader's telling me this. I said, Pastor, what happened was in a moment, I was exposed to what I thought was, it came out that I had this little bit of sin habit. And I'm telling you, my spouse lost their mind, and I thought, this is bigger than I thought it was. I almost lost my marriage, almost lost my kids, all because I minimized the power of sin. Pastor Jonathan Pena and I, you know, we prepare with a team, we prepare the message together. When we were preparing this particular point, he said, man, that reminds me of something. He loves this, uh, there's a show called Fatal Attraction on Animal Planet. I don't watch Animal Planet. Um, but there's some show and, uh, called Fatal Attraction. And he was talking about how there was this particular guy that he made pets of these um, Nile monitors. There's some type of large lizard like the kimono dragon. They get up to six feet, t- six feet long. And so he, he made pets. He had like six or eight of them or something in his house. And he had them when they were little, little. And they kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. And all the neighbors were like, dude, you better get rid of those. You couldn't even come to their house. He's got six-foot lizards running around his house. And, 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 and the storyline goes on that, you know, after, after a couple years, you know, you go by and you couldn't even get in his house. Until one day he didn't show up for work. A couple days they're texting and calling. And nobody's responding. The neighbors start smelling a foul odor coming from his property. Finally, the police show up. They kick open the door, and there are six giant lizards. They have not just murdered this man, but they are eating his flesh every moment of the day. In fact, these guys, these police officers, back out of the house and have to call a special animals unit to come remove these things. Because they're so huge. See, what starts so small that you think is innocent, that you've got control over, Frank, can I tell you something? One day it's going to kill you. One day because sin kills. What does it do? It separates us from God. Ultimately, you're going to look up one day and go, I don't know how I got here. And I'm going to be able to say as your pastor, I do. Because you, you played with it when it was small. And you had no concept how big it was going to get. Oh, you kept it hidden. You kept it behind closed doors. You didn't let friends come over anymore because you didn't want anybody to see it because it was your little special thing. You thought you had control over it. But then it ultimately will kill you. And that's what sin does. It will kill you. So the first step in this whole consecration process is you've got to stop minimizing sin and its power and say, you know what? I've got this thing in me. I don't want anything to separate me from God. I won't let anything grow and come and destroy my life. Here's the second thing that you can learn to do in consecrating, and that is you need to cry out to the one who can save. Cry out to the one who, Jesus, help me. I can't stop this. My sin nature loves this sin. I have been sowed with weeds from the enemy, and I have hatred in my heart, and I can't let it go, God. What they did was wrong, and I need your help. And I have had that prayer many times. I have stood at before the Lord in my, in my back bedroom and said, God, I can't stand it. I want them to die. You have That seed is now in. Those weeds are surrounding the life of God in me. You have to help me get it out. You have to help me pull that up. You have to save me from my sin. 
I'm telling you, friend, you better cry out to the one, the only one. You'll see me in worship up here all the time because I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, set me free. Because I don't want to be the kind of pastor that acts one way up on the pulpit and acts a different way behind closed doors. I want to be the guy that you say, that guy's the same, but in private as he is in public. He's the real deal. He loves Jesus, and so he's not perfect like none of us. He's a sinner saved by grace just like all of us are. You've got to get this revelation. Number one, you've got to start to the place where you start start, uh, understanding the power of that sin and stop minimizing it. Number two, you and I need to cry out to the one who can save. Number three, you still with me? Say yes. And that is you need to chase intimacy with Jesus. I used to couldn't stand it. The preachers that I grew up under, they tell me, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. I was like, well, if I could stop sinning, I would. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's bad. Don't do it. I was like, I know, I know, but I love it. <laughs> I love it when you're not around. I feel bad, preacher, when you're around, but I love it when no one else is around. And they told me to stop it. Well, if I had the power to stop it, I wouldn't need Jesus. And what I learned to do was actually chase after Jesus. Because as I chase after him, and I come close to him, the power of sin loses its, effect, its love. I, I, I don't like it anymore. As I get closer to him, it loses its grip on me. When I was in second and third grade, I went to a school that I was the only white kid in my class. And, and you, know, you, you know me from being in church here. I, I, I have a tendency to run my mouth. And uh, I did that real well in second grade. So I got bullied. In fact, we called bullying going to school. I mean, I don't even, I just thought that's what you did. You went to school and everybody beat on you. And so, especially being a white kid who ran his mouth, I got, I got, I got beat on a little bit. And I came to a re- revelation. I can't fight everybody. So I'm going to have to get some help. And what I did was Dewan was the biggest kid in my second grade. He was huge. I think he had a full beard in second grade. I mean, this kid was huge. And I decided, you know what? Me and Dewan are going to be friends. And I befriended Dewan. And I'm going to tell you something. I never got beat up again. I would run my mouth. That's right. Say it again. You there, right, Dewan? All right. Yes, yeah, say it again. What I did was I got close with Dewan, and Dewan kept the enemies from destroying me. Chase after Jesus. Listen, I learned years ago, I can sit here and be all upset about my sin and my, and my worthlessness and my sin nature, or I can just chase after Jesus and all that will lose its power. Chase after Jesus. When's the last time, when's the last time you just sat with the Lord? I mean, when you, on your way to work, instead of listening to all the other stuff, you like, what, what if you just put on the Bible app and just started listening to Scripture and let it, my Lord, just talk to God? I mean, how much time do we spend on social media? I mean, we, we can spend so much time on social media or watching TV or watching our Netflix or whatever, we, whatever we're into, and, and we never have this intimacy, never have this engagement. You know why we do that? Because sometimes we're scared that he doesn't love us. Can I tell you, he knows your wickedness. He came to save you from you. How dumb for you and me to back away from him. Like, oh, I know I'm not good. When I get good, then I'll come back. That's, that is ignorant. That means lack of understanding. If you could get good without Jesus, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. We could have lived by the law, the Ten Commandments. We couldn't. So God's like, now, nah, y'all got it? You can't do it by yourself? Okay, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to fix it for you. He will save you from your sins. Chase after Jesus. Here's the fourth piece that I would teach you on how to consecrate yourself, and that is submit. You're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Submit to the pruning. Submit to the pruning. I hate this. I hate every bit of that statement right there. Submit to the pruning. All throughout Scripture, we find these storyline pieces 
about God's pruning those who lo- he loves or disciplining those he loves. And this is, this is a biblical term. You got to understand uh, the Jews lived in a, a, you know, an agricultural type environment. And so one of their main pieces that we see during Jesus' time they're talking about is the grapevines. And if you've never seen grapevines, I've been in California uh, doing some research and studying, even made some videos. Uh, they usually, their stalk is about this tall, if I could kind of generalize it, you know, in the California area anyway. And then they have these top branches that, that literally come out. So they're, they're not like a typical tree. They're like a vine tree combo looking thing. And their main, their main trunk, if you will, go about this line. And they can get about this big around, sometimes bigger. And, and then the top branches actually produce the grapes. And what happens is, in any, and you probably have some trees or some plants like this at your house, what happens is, in that space between the top branches, now the top branches are able to produce because the leaves come out, the sun gives the nutrients, as well as what they suck out of the ground, and they produce the grapes. What happens is, branches will shoot out, they call them sucker branches, midway, if you will, up the trunk. They'll shoot out. They have no ability to produce fruit because they can't get to the sunlight because they're covered by the other fruit and the other limbs. And so what will happen is though they will suck nutrients, will go to them before it gets to the top, and literally cause these not to produce well. And so what a good gardener does is cut these branches off. They're constantly tending to those. Can I explain something to you? This is how it is with us. These little sin habits... They need to be pruned off. And the reason why they have to be pruned off is because you love God, you wouldn't be here today. I love God, I wouldn't be here today if we didn't. We want more of God in our life. But what we don't recognize is all these little sucker branches are stealing the momentum, the excitement, the energy, the essence of the living God coming up and, gr- and bringing fruit to us because we got these sucker branches. And if we'll let him prune them, we'll let him cut them off, that will only give more life to the things that you know that God wants to use your life for. If we can cut those things. We can cut off that TV time a little bit. We can cut off that little gossip time a little bit. We can just get those and get a rhythm and, a, and an effort going where, where we get up every day and we spend a little bit more time with the Lord. If we can prune those things off, what that'll do is give life to the supernatural in our life. And we'll produce fruit. And we're like, I don't know why God's not talking. The reason why is because you got so many sucker branches that he's talking, but by the time it gets to you, it's, it's, it's diluted and you have no power. I don't understand why this is not working in my life because you got so many sucker branches. You and I need to let him prune us my grandmother was somewhat of a horticulturalist. She was, a, she was a bitter little old lady. After my grandfather abandoned her for another woman, left her with three kids, she was a bitter lady. She ended up getting a home in kind of like one of these track subdivisions. You know, she got one of these HUD homes. And, uh, and she worked two jobs to try to provide for her children. And uh, her children ended up in some, some real mess. I mean, my mom, me, me, you know, I mean, our testimony, God, God delivered us. But, man, we were in a mess, and both my uncles. My grandmother, literally, in this little neighborhood where all the houses are built on top of each other, she planted more trees and plants. She wanted to hide behind those. And you pull up, it's the only yard. You pull up, like, is there a house back there? What is this? I mean, what is that? And one day, her next-door neighbors, they had the manicured lawn. I mean, their every blade was perfect. They had a couple little bushes that were completely manicured to look like statues and stuff. And one year, they complained to my grandmother that one of her tree bush thingies was dropping leaves all in their yard come wintertime. So my grandmother said, oh, I'm going to show them something. She cut that sucker down to right about this tall. There wasn't a branch on it. But my grandmother, being the bitter soul that she is, knows good and well that it's going to grow back three times with ten times as many leaves in the next two years. 
And within the next two years, it was twice the size it would have been had she not pruned it back. Can I just help you with something? God may be pruning some things off of you. If you're letting prune it off, he will only multiply the thing that you have in your heart to see God do. You say, oh God, I have a hard time tithing. Prune it off, tithe, and you'll have more than you know what to do with. He said, oh God, I have a hard time forgiving. Let him prune that off so that you can have life and life more abundantly. And you'll have so many amazing relationships. Oh God, I just so struggle. Let him cut it off so that he can reproduce. More energy can go to the good things of God in your life than the wicked things that the enemy's trying to see with me. Today, I want you to understand this. It's time for consecration so that hope can live and reign in our life. Would you stand with me all across the room? Thank you for letting me be passionate. You know I'm passionate about the real things of God. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling with you. <laughs> I just am so excited about truth because we'll know the truth and it will set us free. Would you bow your heads with me across the room for just a moment? What seeds, what weeds are trying to choke out your love relationship with the living God? That vehicle that has brought those sin habits into your life. It's time for consecration. The moment I stated that first point, you need to stop minimizing. Some of you went, oh, that's so true. The moment I explained, instead of chasing after how to kill sin, chase after intimacy with him, some of you went, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's what I'm lacking. We can pull up these weeds together. We can consecrate together. Hope is found. The first whole process of hope is found in consecration. When the people of Israel begin to consecrate themselves, they say, we need you, God. We'll do whatever. We'll cut away anything we have to. Jesus was brought to the planet. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just take a moment and would you begin the consecration process? Would you just admit this sin is bigger than I ever thought it would be? This habit is starting to dominate me. If you can even identify a sin habit, then you need to repent of it. And then you need to do what we learned to do today. Call upon Jesus. Jesus, help me. I can't. You say, how is this going to work, Pastor? It's supernatural what God does. He'll change your heart. Your love for that sin will lose. It'll just be destroyed. You won't love it as much anymore. You won't enjoy it anymore. I've literally had friends that cried out to God, and from that point forward, they didn't even like the smell of marijuana anymore. Like they couldn't stand it. It's like something happened. When I asked for Jesus' help, he set me free. They call it being set free or being delivered, some of them. Call it those terms. It's literally pulling up those weeds. Consecration. Under your breath, right there where you stand. Make a commitment. Say, I'm going to chase after you, Jesus. I'm not going to be weeded out and unproductive in my walk with you. Right where you stand. Father, I thank you right now for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your healing power over us to set us free. Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth to set Adam and Cain free from his sin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for setting us as a church free from our sin. We call to a holy consecration moment in our development we pause life and say wait a minute look at these weeds that have gotten in here our fault satan's fault our parents fault don't matter they're here let's get them out and lord we come to the place 
we consecrate ourselves. We cry out to you. And Jesus, we chase after you. We submit to your pruning process. If you want us to change our eating habits, we'll do it. And whatever we need to do to cut away, cut it away, God. Lord God, may you be the love of our life. Hope has come. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest, I'm not a Christian. I'll be straight up with you, I'm not. If I died today, I'm telling you, I'm not going to heaven. Well, friend, I wanna say first off, thank you. Because don't be so hard on yourself. You showed up here knowing it was a church, knowing that God could potentially meet you here. So there's something in your heart that wants God or you would have never came here today. And so I would, I, would, I would draw on that strength in you. And I would probably venture to say that it's not that you don't love God, it's just that you probably feel guilty because of the sin that has so ravished your life. And I got some really good news for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what his word says. In other words, he'll make you his. And then he'll start the process of saving you from your sin. You can't save yourself from your sin. You love your sin. It's natural to sin. And so today, with your head bowed and your eye closed, if you don't want to live the rest of your life absent from a relationship with the living God, I'd like to lead you. I'll lead you in a prayer of repentance, a, re a prayer of dedication, of confessing with your mouth. If you maybe say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but life happened. I got so caught up in this. I, I just feel so distant from God. I want you to know that he's not distant from you. He comes running the moment we cry out to him. And today can be your day of change. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, I need to get right with the Lord, I want you to pray with me. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point you out. This is a deep private, eternal decision. Do you want God in your life? Will you submit to his lordship? Will you allow him to be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin? If today you say, yeah, pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I'm away from God. I want to come back or I want to get saved. I would like to pray with you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance, of a, de a prayer of dedication. But no one looking around, if that's you, say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. I want you to slip your hand up if that's you. Say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. I want to be right with the Lord. God bless you. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, sweet one. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. May you never be the same. Yes, yes, ma'am. May you never be the same. Thank you for your honesty. I love real people. Thank you, sir. I, I can't stand to be around people who, who are inauthentic. Thank you for being real. Thank you so much. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Thank you, son. God bless you. Just a couple more seconds. I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. Okay, thanks, bro. Thanks for being honest. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of dedication, a prayer of making him the Lord of your life. I don't think there's anything magical about the words. I think what's supernatural is that you said, I want God. I think, that, I think it's already done. We just need to add a period at the end of the sentence to say it's finished. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer, prayer of repentance, prayer of dedication. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the whole audience to pray out loud alongside of you. But those of you that lifted your hand, I want you to mean this from the depths of your heart. I want you to pray this like you're looking face to face with Jesus into his eyes. Can we say it like this? Say, Jesus, a little bit better. Jesus, today, I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've been sinning against you. I feel the guilt 
and the shame of my sin. But I ask you right now to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I receive your forgiveness. And here and now, I declare Jesus is my Lord. Thank you that my name is in your book of life. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? Father, I pray for those who cried out to you. They called on the right name. Therapists can't save them. Mom and daddy can't save them from their sin. Only you, you were sent to save us from our sins because our sin separates us from you. Thank you that no longer we separated. For those who called upon you today, they are forever yours. The Bible says they're in the palm of your hand. Lord, I thank you that when the days come and they feel like they blew it, and they recognize they've stumbled and they've sinned, that they would stand back up and say, you know what, I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. And when the lies come, ha ha, see, you hypocrite, in their own minds, their own self, saying this to themselves. And they feel like, I'm, that's it, I'm, 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 I'm gonna walk away. That they would have the guts to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, I did sin, and yes, I'm not perfect, but I'm his son, I'm his daughter. I dedicated myself, he received me, and he will walk me through my mess because he's a good God. And Father, let these truths win out against all lies. In Jesus' name.